Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, a long-time guilty pleasure of mine has been the Sunday morning comic strips. One of the newer strips that I find interesting is Pearls Before Swine, written by Stephen Pastes. One of the recent strips even featured a little theology. In this strip, the two main characters, Rat, a generally obnoxious fellow, and his more genial counterpart, Goat, are speaking. Rat is now dressed in a monk's clothing and comes before Goat and announces, I've decided to become an ascetic monk. I renounce all the trappings of this worldly life. I shall henceforth live in the forest. Goat expresses concern for his friend Rat. How are you going to eat? I shall eat what the forest provides. I think I've seen enough man versus wild on discovery to make that possible. You'll starve, Goat replies. The ever-resourceful rat? No, for it comes down to it. I shall call the pizza delivery guy. Goat, now very skeptical, says, You can't order pizza. I can with my iPhone, says Rat. Goat, even more skeptical, You can't bring an iPhone. Oh, and I suppose you can't you're going to tell me that I can't bring my Xbox or my keg of beer. You can't, Goat insists. Rat, well, how will I entertain my Dallas Cowboy cheerleader? Goat, now completely frustrated, says, I give up. The cheerleader shows up and says, your friend is quite a buzzkiller. Rat, now very piously, looks and says, yes, we shall pray for him. This comic, as amusing as it is, illustrates two sides of the religious community, the spectrum in today's culture. On one hand, you have the goats, those who have strict ideas of what religion is all about, who know the rules and insist that you follow them. There can be no deviation. You'd better know the rules, just like the Pharisees in our Lord's Day, and if you don't follow them, you make a mockery of your religion. On the other hand, you have the rats of the world, they grab onto whichever religion appeals to them. They modify the rules to fit their needs. Rats are particularly attracted to our gospel. In it, they find a freedom that other religions lack. When they hear that our Lord Jesus Christ died to take away our sins, they feel liberated. I can do whatever I want. I can make up my own rules and live the way I please. The truth usually lies between the two extremes, and this is what Martin Luther sought when he began struggling to align what he was reading in Scripture with what the church of his day was teaching. Luther, raised in a very strict Catholic household, was severely punished both at home and at school when he disobeyed. He came to fear and even to hate God and his wrath. And he felt that no matter how well he kept the rules of the church, he could never do well enough to be loved by God. Like the Pharisees of old, the medieval church had taken the sweet word of the gospel and reduced it to a set of rules. They turned salvation into crushing words of the law. Likewise, today we find churches reducing the gospel to law, sometimes quite literally. In Connecticut, where my vicarage is, we still cannot buy alcohol on Sundays, a remnant of the state's blue laws enacted in 1656. Some of these blue laws that are no longer in effect stated that no man shall walk or no man shall run or walk except reverently to and from church on the Sabbath. 
or no woman shall kiss her child on the Sabbath or fasting day. In many ways, these sorts of laws, as well-intentioned as they might be, have reduced, have taken Christians back to the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. Trying to regulate faith today, trying to force a person to keep a day holy by passing laws is as doomed to failure today as it was in the days of the Old Testament. Time and time again, the Israelites demonstrated their failure to keep God's law. If we truly are to keep the Sabbath day holy, we must keep our hearts focused on the Word of God. As Luther writes, at whatever time God's Word is taught, preached, heard, read, or pondered, there the person, the day, and the work is hallowed, not on account of the external work, but on account of the Word that makes us all saints. The power and force of this commandment consists not in the resting, but in the hallowing. We obey the third commandment not by following any man-made laws, not by obedience to the goats of our society, but rather when we come to hear and learn the word of God. Unfortunately, like rat in pearls before swine, people have deviated from religious norms to redefine what it means to make Sunday sacred. Whether you're sleeping in or an athlete competing in in a tournament or an employee asked to labor, Sundays are no longer being hallowed. Secular society is overrunning our church. The body of Christ is too often engaged in the very activities that drive our society to try and eke out every productive minute of every day, of every week, of every month. We do this to feed our rapid need to consume. The results are wearing us down physically, mentally, and spiritually. You don't need a focus group or a survey to know this is true. Sorry, Dr. Harton. Just ask yourselves if you have enough time to get done what you need to do each day. What drives us to work so hard? What drives us to fill every waking moment with activity of some sort? Work hard, play hard seems to be the new American mantra. So many of us are overwhelmed by the demands of our jobs and even our leisure. Yes, even our leisure. Consider a news article that ran last year. For Brad Pitt, home is where the man cave is. The actor exemplifies the need felt by a growing number of American males to create a space away from women and children and dedicated to boys' toys, from jukeboxes to gym equipment, motorbikes, and beer kegs. As a father of six, Pitt complains he no longer has the energy for parties. He prefers to invite other fathers to play in back rooms stuffed with gadgets. The article continues, Over the past two decades, the size of new American homes has increased 15%, and men have been happy to fill the extra space with gadgets. Women, who like bigger bathrooms and better kitchens, are happy to see the men gather their playthings in one soundproofed room. Marketing companies say that, like teenagers, many married men aged between 25 and 45 are greedy for gadgets and toys. A man interviewed for the article states, next week for my 40th birthday, my wife will buy me a 40-inch flat-screen TV for the man cave. This is my chapel, my place of escape. I need it. Ignore, if you can, the magnitude of the excess found in this article. Instead, focus on the language that these men are using. They no longer have the energy. They like gadgets. They call these caves, these rooms for their leisure, their chapels. They need it. People have become so focused on work and play that they, like Rat in our cartoon, 
are tired and need to escape from their everyday lives, from their families. They retreat into these caves, or as they call them, their chapels. What God, I ask, is being worshipped in such chapels? Jesus, in our gospel for today, tells us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So what do you treasure the most? Answering this question will reveal a lot about where your heart lies. If you sit in church or chapel and you find your mind wandering to unfinished items sitting on your desk, I suggest your mind is not here. Your heart may not be in your worship. Likewise, if you find yourself mentally running through a checklist of things that need to be done at home, you may be here physically, but not mentally. Jesus knew the human condition. He not only was a man, he created men and women. Jesus knew that in our fallen condition, in our sin-soaked lives, we tend to lose focus of who God is and what God has done. We like to shift the focus to who we are and what we can do for ourselves. This was the terrible genius of Satan's deception of Eve in the garden. When you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. He goaded Eve into dissatisfaction with her life in Eden, her life in paradise. He stirred up in her a coveting to be like God. Most of us are no different than Eve. We sit here this morning in our comfortable lives with the resources we already possess. Yet we continue to chase after the shiny things in our the shiny things in life that the advertisements or our neighbors or our friends tell us will make us happier. While the material possessions are not inherently bad. They draw us further away from the only thing we truly need, the love of God. They draw us away by distracting us, by demanding our time to earn the money to purchase them, to fix them, to maintain them. We work so hard for the nice things in life that we become too tired to enjoy them, and we retreat into our dens or caves just to find a little relaxation and relief from the pressures of life. In doing so, we separate ourselves not only from other people, but also from God. The article from the Times concludes, There is a dark side to man caves. Women are now blaming them for alienation of affection in divorce cases. These man caves, symbolic of our obsession with the material, are destroying our relationships with those most important to us. When we spend our time working or striving after material possessions, we deprive our spouse, our family, our neighbors of our time and of our love. When we're too tired or distracted to worship God, we cut ourselves off from the very source of life. Yet Christ knew the human condition better than any of us. He knew that we, like Eve, like Rat, would struggle with our covetous nature and want to trust in our own abilities to provide. And this is why he tells us not to be anxious. For he, for the Father, will provide all that we need if we only seek the kingdom of God. This is why he died for us on Calvary, to, forgive, to earn the forgiveness of our sins, to, to purchase our redemption so that there was nothing left for us to do but to believe. 496 years ago this month, Martin Luther sought to refocus a church distracted by the riches of the world. He did so by casting aside the man-made rules and burdens of the law and focusing on the word of God. 
the pure water of life. He did this by showing that it wasn't obedience to the law that saved, but the grace of God obtained through faith in Christ. Do you need a personal reformation in your life? If so, then like Luther, let's focus on the word of God and his kingdom. Through the Holy Spirit, we can learn to trust in God. We can learn to trust in his faithfulness. We can learn to trust that he will provide. He might not give you that 40-inch flat-screen TV. You may not get an Xbox or a keg of beer. And I doubt that you'll have a, find a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader waiting on your doorstep when you return home this evening. But he does promise a peace that passes all understanding, a love that never fails, and a life with him in eternity. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.